How's it going, everyone? This is Jason Navarro. You're listening to Tongues Out Podcast, and let's just jump right into today's subject where, um, man, I just wanted to be Tuesday already so I could just do a message to my daughter. This kind of nonsense is just ugh, rough. Anyways, uh, speaking of my daughter, she had her first dentist appointment today, and it was awesome. It was so such a great experience. The, I mean, not really much that they could do. Um, but, um, so now we're, we kind of got the okay to start brushing her teeth every single day. She's got two teeth, uh, that have broken the skin, a third one that's about to, or actually it's kind of broken the skin, but it has like, they haven't come out yet. And, uh, she just has the cutest little teeth. And so we're going to have to start brushing them, but she hates like, or she doesn't hate, but whenever it's something new that we're putting around her mouth, she's a little hesitant at first, but she learns pretty quickly. So uh, I got to try some of her toothpaste today. I got this like really cute uh, toothpaste. What is it? I forget what it's called, but essentially it's like, I don't know how they do it, but it's it's got apple flavor to it, but it's like a, an all natural toothpaste. It tastes so good. It tastes like wonderful, but I don't know if it's, it, I think it has some level of apple in it. But it doesn't have like uh, any real artificial things um, in it. Super sweet. Uh, and I know she's definitely going to enjoy it when we start teaching her how to brush her teeth. But um, today what I wanted to talk about was, <laughs> I could not believe this article that I read earlier today. It just, it boggles my mind. So I, I, I've talked about this many times in this podcast where I... Um, I aspire to be a very wealthy individual. Growing up as a kid, I was always always exposed to individuals that did really well with their lives, um, and I've been fortunate enough to to kind of have early exposure into that and kind of see what that lifestyle is like. And um, it's really cool, really interesting. As I got older, um, I went from studying computer science to studying finance because I thought I was going to. Uh, work for a, a trading firm and um, to essentially like trade stock and, and to help be like an invest, like a, why can I not think of it at the moment, but just someone that essentially just helps people. Um, it's just, just how much, I don't know why I'm brain farting on this right now. This is so crazy. Um, but yeah, I just wanted to, to work on some level of platform with a Series 7 license where I'm able to kind of just act as a, as a financial broker. That's the term. As a financial broker or um, a trader. And that's that was my dream when I was a young adult in my early 20s. And then it wasn't until I actually was about to finish my school in finance, I started to realize just the level of corruption that exists in that system and how much of... of a level of corruption that those people like the super wealthy, the amount of control that they have on markets, it's just unfathomable. Really. It's so crazy. They, they, they force a value up essentially artificially through just buying, buying, buying equity. Right. And then they get it to a point where they feel comfortable that there's absolutely no risk. And then uh, deciding to do the next step and, and they're, wild scheme of making a ton of wealth and that is to drive up value right cause 
um, and a financial crisis to occur by dumping your equity that you have back onto the market in, in large droves and essentially create some level of justification for doing it, right? So the fear of the financial crisis or the euro crisis or this pandemic, essentially bye, bye, bye. And then when there's some level of head, like fear that something bad's going to happen, all these big players, they move all their equity out of uh, fr- from their portfolios up into the open market. And essentially that drives down the value. They've already profited all the gains that they've recently made. Watch as the value drops because of their what they just did. And essentially, as the value drops, 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 it gets to a point where one of two things either happens. One, whatever um, uh, small cap or mid cap stock, that, that means the capitalization or just how much that company is worth. If it's a mid to small cap uh, business, if it doesn't survive whatever happens to it, because of whatever financial crisis that occurs, essentially they are in a position where they have to file bankruptcy or have to get acquired. And at that point, they are at such a low valuation that it's easy to just kind of swallow them up and get a really good deal on them. And if you're a large institutional investor, you essentially have some level of power because you either have collaborated with other institutional investors and, and have a ton of wealth to kind of go in as an investment firm and to acquire businesses, or you are a CEO or, or board member on a big company that has a large portfolio of cash on hand that they can just swallow up businesses when, when the price is right. <clears throat> and then you could just create whatever justification you want for, for why you did that. But, um, and generally most of the time when, when like, especially tech companies, which I'm going to get into in a second, Tech companies, they love doing this because essentially they acquire all the patents from a competitor. They could just acquire these patents and everything of that nature for a lot cheaper of a discount, uh, circumventing the whole having to license through them and, and go through like legal battles and having to come up with like a new way to do something. It's just easy to just kind of like drive the value of this company down by creating some from some level of, of financial crisis acquiring them and then just kind of making it a lot easier for you to, to, to get what you want. And then when they buy these businesses low, essentially they, they go back into the whole buy, buy, buy aspect. And because they're the majority player in this, right? They're the ones that are fluctuating the valuations on the market. It's not you buying and selling your stocks. Barely that does that have any effect on the market. It really takes a collaborated effort to really make some level of impact, similar to what happened recently with the shorting of game stocks um, or the the recent um, uh, freak. What's the term I'm looking for? Essentially um, what retail investors did when it came to combating short sellers with GameStop and AMC, essentially, um, a short squeeze, I think is the term I'm looking for. Essentially, they they squeezed the short sellers into kind of driving up the how expensive it was for them to hold the equity and for themselves to kind of profit off of these gains as well. But that takes a massive effort. Whereas, and that takes tons and tons of, of retail investors to kind of get in and, and, and make a change. Whereas if you're an institutional investor, it really... 
you own a big chunk of a business already by you buying and selling things. You're fluctuating that market all the time. And all you're doing is you're just essentially profiting off of both ends. You either buy something, hold on to it, and watch it gain, and then you dump it. So you've made all those gains, and then you dump it. You've profited all of that, and then you watch as it goes and tanks by your own efforts, and then you buy it when it's cheap again. Or you even acquire it when it's super cheap as well. It's such a corrupt system. And like when you finally start start studying finance and understanding that that's like essentially what happened with the financial crisis of 2008 and what happened to real estate afterwards, it just left a, a bad taste in my mouth that I, I I dropped out of university without getting my financial my finance degree. And um over the course of my life, I, I started to slowly transition from this idea of looking up to billionaires and millionaires and started to look at kind of how, like how detrimental their efforts are to society and to communities and everything of that nature. I, I still respect the effort and the work that these people put in because you don't get to that level of wealth without putting some level of work in. But generally that work entails some level of robbing away from society in some aspect. I, I'm very rarely like amazed or surprised by a billionaire that somehow was able to achieve their level of wealth without literally draining away from some level of community or um, by destroying jobs or, or replacing work or, or just figuring out ways to make that. You just don't get that much money without literally – doing something unethical. It's I, I I am yet to to have someone come up to me and be like, hey, this is a multi-billion dollar business or this is a billionaire that's doing it right. It's like, no, no, they're not. Read their stories. Read what it took them to get to that point. It's a lot of rough stuff, a lot of stuff where um, you just, you wouldn't appreciate it if you were the person working with this individual and having to deal with what it, transpires for them to get to the position of wealth that they're in. So the reason why I'm kind of doing this elaborative approach as to what what I'm trying to get to is that I've read an article today that just freaking blew my mind because again, I like to stay, you know, I don't appreciate wealth gain anymore as, as it's normally portrayed to individuals like where it's like work really hard, save a ton of money. And then like when you get to a specific point in life, you retire and then use all that wealth towards something. That's not how I like to do things. I like to more kind of take semi retirements in, in, in my life and kind of create or allow certain things in the environment to kind of allow them to become my justification for doing those things. Um, is it smart to do that fiscally? No, it's not. I know that as well. I'm eating into compounding interest all the time by doing that, but I just, wealth doesn't matter to me. It's just not something that I even want to push to, to towards my daughter. I just, I want to push more like, hey, you know, if you could give to community and make money from that, that's awesome. That's like, I really want to start a nonprofit and I really want to be part of a nonprofit and so that's something to definitely look forward to as this pandemic comes to an end. I really want to be part of something like that where essentially I get paid, but I'm not there to like gener generate more and more wealth. I'm just there to kind of just give back to the community and only make enough for me to kind of enjoy my own personal life as well. Um, that is something that sounds way more appealing to me than 
trying to make a ton and ton of money all the time. But um, and something that allows me to kind of just be with my family always is, is so mixing those two things I definitely want to be a part of. And so that's what I hope that eventually my daughter aspires as well. I, I definitely do not want to see her be part of this whole capitalistic system because it, it just it doesn't work out. Because when you read articles like this, what I read today was that I I, I did not know this because I, I just I don't follow it as much. But I knew that Apple, for instance, was a trillion dollar business. I knew that they hit that that uh, benchmark about a couple years back. They if I remember when I was younger, in my mid twenties, that there was this ongoing debate as to which was going to be the first company to hit a trillion dollar net worth. Was it going to be Amazon? Was it going to be Google, it was like between those two businesses and then sometimes you would see like Apple being there as well, but not so much. And then recently, like in the last four or five years, like Apple's kind of just taken off and so has Microsoft as well. Those two businesses kind of blew up. Not that they weren't recognized already. They were already multi-billion dollar businesses, already top 10 in the Fortune, uh, Fortune 500 or Fortune 100, excuse me. But... um Dude, I did not. I did not even understand this. It, it's hard to grasp this idea. But essentially, so this is the title of the article. Apple's the only is the only company worth two trillion dollars. Two trillion dollars. Do you know what two trillion dollars is? That is essentially the like more value than almost every like the bottom sixty percent of countries don't even make that much money in a single year. Like Apple's worth that much as a business. Like if you could write them a check for $2 trillion, you could buy Apple. But $2 trillion is an insane amount of money. That's just insane. And I can only imagine how much in cash. They probably have like somewhere near like $300, $400 billion in cash. Um, but the crazy thing is that they're not, they're not going to be there alone for too much longer because it seems like Microsoft and Amazon are both relatively close to, um, like Microsoft, for instance, is just about to hit $2 trillion and Amazon's 1.7 and, and uh, Alphabet, which is the owner of Google, is $1.5 trillion. Those four companies alone make up, <laughs> uh, or sorry, uh, the Fang stock. So Fang, if you're not familiar with it, it's an acronym for Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Alphabet. Um, Alphabet being Google. So Fang was Google in the end, but now their parent company is called Alphabet. But um, you know, that Fang, those those businesses plus Microsoft and Tesla are are collectively worth nine point three nine point three trillion dollars. Those what seven companies seven companies are worth 9.3 trillion dollars they make up a third of is that is that right no a quarter of the s&p 500's total market value of 37.5 trillion dollars so those seven companies make up a quarter of the worth of the um s&p 500 that is just that's disgusting that you don't get to that point of value without just breaking a lot of eggs. And it's just so unfortunate that that's the reality that we live in. And it's just going to keep getting worse. It's going to keep getting worse and worse and worse. And I hate to be the, like the conveyor of bad news, but 
like when this is your the national narrative of this country, right? Like this is something that most of the time is is sold as like, oh my god, you should be impressed, like you should be happy about this information. It's not something to be happy about. A company being worth two trillion dollars, and yet we have all these problems in this country. And you know they've benefited from the systems that exist in this country to get to that point, right? I hate when people are like. Why is it their responsibility to help deal with the problems in this country? <clears throat> and I always tell people, it's like, do you think a business like Amazon or Facebook or Google could ever aspire to be as big as they are if there wasn't some level of social programs or, or different structures in place that allow them to be in the position that they're in now? Like having access to fast internet speeds, having access to roads and highways and hospitals and you know, people that study universities, all of these things are like resources that are like put in place by states and cities and everything of that nature. And so all of these companies have benefited from all of this infrastructure. It is their responsibility to give back to a system that's benefited them. And yet they don't. They they really don't. And it's just so unfortunate. But I'm just going to leave it at that. I could not believe that article. I'm sorry that it took me a, quite a bit to kind of get a, to the point, but... Um, a, that's just how I am. And B, I just couldn't believe it when I read that article that Apple's worth $2 trillion. And then to find out that four other companies or three other companies are right there. That's rough. That's rough. <laughs> and yet you hear all these stories about countries that are struggling with so eh, I don't even want to get into that. But anyways... Thank you guys, as always, for listening to today's podcast. If you're new to this um, to this podcast, every Tuesday I dedicate a message from me to my daughter. Um, in case something happens to me, I want to leave behind a part of me and my thoughts and everything of that nature for her. And so I, I put it out in public because I, I think uh, it's great and it, it kind of keeps it secured and, and it's saved out in the internet forever. Uh, just in case if something happens, it's just another aspect of backing up. And I don't mind getting emotional or people understanding kind of my perspective on, on what it means to be a father, uh, because I hope it inspires other people to kind of take the same initiative to do the same thing for their kids as well. Cause we just don't really know how long we have on this planet. But, um, so if you want to listen to those, uh, I have a lot of people that say that they're great. Um, again, they're, they come from somewhere of, of not to say that I don't put effort into these podcasts, but those Tuesday messages from me to my daughter are very important because they, they have weight to them. I, I always come into them always thinking like she's going to be listening to them when I'm not around eventually. And, and that's a heavy subject ever to, to think about. And, um, so yeah, I, I, there's a lot of love and just a lot of caring and a, a lot of what I think is important for her put into those messages. So, um, you know, if you do listen to those, thank you so much. I've listened to so many people that tell me that that's the only thing they listen from my podcast, and I that's I couldn't blame you. Like honestly, those are they mean so much to me because my daughter means so much to me. The, I mean this this platform I have is awesome and it means a lot too, but I would give that up in an instant to be able to leave that much, that many more messages for her. So, um, yeah. Anyways, thank you guys as always for listening to today's podcast and I'll catch you guys manana. Peace.